Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. Former State Representative Jeannie Ives is a strong voice for all Illinois residents who believe that our state can once again enjoy economic growth, job creation, and fiscal stability. But she understands that marijuana will not generate enough tax revenue to help make that happen, and that legalizing today's high-potency marijuana is sure to make Illinois a less desirable place for employers to do business. During a forum in Oak Brook, hosted by NoWeedIllinois.com, Ms. Ives told law enforcement authorities, public officials, and faith leaders that it's time for Illinois to tap into its potential. Wow, it's uh, great to be with you all here today. And um, I will say this, I was there in 2013 when they did pass the uh, medical marijuana bill. And at that time, of course, it was all done in secrecy. There were going to be 60 people allowed to basically dispense this and, and, and be part of the industry. Nobody knows who those people are. To this day, we don't know who those, those industry leaders are. We don't know what companies are involved in it. But I will tell you, it is big business. And the problem here is that it's big business in the other states where you have Washington State um, with almost a billion dollars worth of sales in, in marijuana right now. And in Illinois, under medical marijuana, we have a paltry $91 million worth of sales. So the folks who got involved in this essentially said, well, we're not making enough money. And I will tell you, that is exactly why we have expanded medical marijuana. Even though this was supposed to be a pilot program for four years, no changes, no expansion, nothing at all. Every single year down in Springfield, they have expanded the reasons that you can get a medical marijuana card, and it's all because it's all about the business, and it's big business. And so that's why you see in the legislation that's already before people down in Springfield that part of the talk about um, taking it to the legalization end is that these um, the, the communities, in fact, part of the bill says that communities that are economically distressed should receive a majority of the dispensaries. Now that's exactly what we don't want. We don't want economically distressed communities who already have a myriad of problems to then see marijuana as their outlet. It, it's, it's not a reason, it's not a way to grow the economy. I mean, I, grew, I came to Illinois in 1992. I'm one of, um, there's six of us in my family, four of us moved to Illinois in the early 90s for job opportunities in all different areas. And why is that? Why is it that Illinois shouldn't have to rely on medical marijuana or legalization of marijuana to solve its budget problems? Well, look, we're, Illinois' number one industry is agriculture. Number one, 44% of our grain produced is sold for export. We're the second leading export of both soybeans and feed grains. Agriculture commodities are $8.2 billion worth of goods that are shipped just to other countries in the state of Illinois. We are the rail hub. We're the center of the nation's rail network. We have approximately 10,000 miles of railroad tracks. You cannot replicate that in another state. Chicago itself is the largest U.S. rail gateway, and there is another major rail center in East St. Louis, which is an economically distressed community. In all, we have 40 railroads that are able to provide service to Illinois and every part of the United States. There's no reason to go down the path of legalization of marijuana to provide for tax revenue. 
We also have a very large airport system. We're home to approximately 107 public and private airports with over 4,800 registered aircraft. Airports alone support more than 337,000 jobs with a combined payroll of over $12.8 billion. We are the logistics hub of the Midwest. Nobody can deny it. The other thing that's important about us, we have the 17th largest economy in the world. We're home to a civilian workforce of 6.5 million people, and we have more than 200 higher education institutions. So we continue to actually have a talent pool that's educated and trained and ready for the workforce. The problem is, the problem is when you go to legalization marijuana, what happens to your workforce? What happens to your employer base? It's going to be a nightmare because the other problems with Illinois are that we have the seventh highest work comp, uh, most expensive work comp system in the state of Illinois. When you double that with the fact we also have one of the most litigious legal systems in the U.S., you are, it is a recipe for disaster if you start to think that we're going to legalize marijuana and this is not going to affect our employer base. It absolutely will affect our employer base. And if you're looking for a job, if anybody is looking for a job, I'll tell you what, the Illinois Manufacturing, Manufacturing Association continues to say we have in the next 10 years coming open 300,000 manufacturing jobs. And I've talked to manufacturers around the state of Illinois and, and a number of, you know, when I was doing my little governor run there, I got to go into a lot of different um, places and, and meet this, these folks that are producing things. And I said to them, well, what are you looking for in a trained uh, workforce? Or do you expect them to have uh, come in with uh, credentialing already? Do you expect them to have, um, a, you know, a high school diploma? Do they have to have two years of community college? No, no, that's not what we need. Here's the two things we need. We need people that will show up on time and are drug-free. That's all we require. Show up on time and be drug-free. We will do the rest of the training. And these are very good paying jobs for starting, for starting out 12, 13, $14 of jobs and going up from there. You know, if you get into manufacturing and you have nothing more than a high school education, and again, these people did not require a high school education. They said, we will take and train you to do what we need you to do. Many of these jobs, you can make easy $60,000, $70,000 as you mature into it over time. So the idea that we need um, legalization of marijuana for anything to grow our tax base, it's not true. What we need to do is grow our employer base, and legalization of marijuana will do the absolute opposite of that. So you have to ask yourself, uh, we've got a lot of well-respected people here, right? We've got people from the public sector, people from the private sector, people from the faith sector. And so ask yourself, is this going to solve these problems? The fact that Illinois has the lowest GDP growth in the Midwest. Does legalizing marijuana solve that problem? Does legalizing marijuana solve the problem that we have the largest out-migration? Uh, we lead in that fifth, you know, leader of that for the last five years. Does it solve our problem on out-migration? Does it solve our problem that we have the lowest job growth in the Midwest? This is all because we didn't legalize pot like Colorado did in 2012. Is it going to solve our problems? Is it going to solve the problem that depending on which study you, do, you look at, we either have the second highest or the highest property tax burden um, in the state, in the United States. Does, that solve, does legalization of marijuana solve that problem? 
I think we heard earlier that it probably is going to hurt property values, or postonly does. Um, does it solve our problem with um, the litigation exposure that employers already have? I don't see how this solves any of our problems. I'll tell you what it doesn't solve. It doesn't solve our fiscal problems. So at, you know, the best estimates that people are coming up with, the most, um, the most generous estimates are that maybe we'll get $535 million um, per year in tax revenue. That is the pittance. It's a pittance when you have a $400 billion um, debt problem at the state level alone. It does nothing to solve the $10 billion um, local pension crisis that we have for police, fire, and IMRF, mainly police and fire. This doesn't solve any of those. And it's just simply a desperate act for a money grab. So I want to know who's pushing it. If we have police folks here, if we have educators here, if we have mayors and managers here listening to the symposium on weed, why are we not able, why are we even having the conversation about legalization of marijuana when we have all sorts of different interest groups opposed to it? So uh, here's where I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that just because, from the coalitions that are in this room that we can actually stop the legalization of marijuana because you know and I know it solves none of our fiscal problems and probably creates more. You know and I know that it's very easy for a manufacturing firm to move just across the border to Wisconsin or Indiana or if you're on the uh, uh, western edge to Illinois or to Missouri or to Iowa. You know and I know that $535 million a year is going to be nothing and it's probably actually going to accelerate the uh, unlawful distribution of marijuana instead. Former State Representative Jeannie Ives at a NoWeedIllinois.com forum in Oak Brook. At a forum in Rockford, Ms. Ives discussed state budget and economic issues as well as how the Republican Party in Illinois can better connect with voters. We'll have her remarks next on this edition of Illinois Family Spotlight. This is Albert Mogler for townhall.com. The culture of death has gained new ground as the state Supreme Court in Kansas has now blocked a law that would have protected unborn human life. In a decisive 6-1 decision, the majority said that according to the Kansas state constitution, a woman there has a right to an abortion to the procedure known as D&E, dilation and evacuation. Note, that is the dismemberment and the removal of the unborn child from the woman's body. The decision was breathtaking, catching both sides of the abortion argument in Kansas by surprise. The Constitution of Kansas was adopted in 1859. Abortion's not mentioned. Abortion wasn't intended. Once again, we're looking at invented law and invented rights made by courts. If we're not constrained by the meaning of words, in this case the words of a state constitution, then we are fundamentally unrestrained. And that means our government is unrestrained, and there are few more deadly dangers than a government unrestrained. I'm Albert Moeller. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this portion of Spotlight, we're highlighting a presentation made by former State Representative Jeannie Ives during a post-election forum in Rockford hosted by Concerned Christian Americans, a chapter of the Illinois Family Institute. At that event, Ms. Ives, a former candidate for governor, outlined some of the gimmicks employed by Democrats last year in crafting the state budget and that are being repeated this year. Spending outpacing revenue, billions in unpaid bills, billions in public employee pension debt, and a low credit rating, 
job growth in Illinois is not keeping up with other states, and outward migration continues. But there is hope for Illinois. So one of the gimmicks is that it's the third year in a row that we're going to agree that we're going to sell the Thompson Center for $300 million. So think about that. Two years ago, we were going to sell it for $300 million, which means our budget was out of balance by $300 million because we thought we were going to sell it down there. Then that last year, we thought we were going to sell it for $300 million, and they counted spending against that revenue, and that never happened. So this year, for the third time, they're going to say that they're going to sell the Thompson Center, and it's not even close to being sold. There's no agreement on it. So that's $300 million right there. But there's other gimmicks in here. They said that they're going to get some savings from some pension reform. Well, the pension reform plan's not even, not even active right now. The, the money that they need to, to use for it, it hasn't even been allocated yet. So there's, there's no way that they can do this. And they said they're going to save about $440 million doing that. They, uh, this also, this revenue includes $800 million of, of sweeps from other funds. So they're, and they have to pay that back at some point doesn't include over $400 million that the courts have stepped in and said we need to give as back pay to AFSCME employees. So it doesn't include that, and they knew that that, was, that tab was going to come due, and they didn't include that. So you don't have to believe me. All you need to believe is our own documents. So at the end of May, they passed a budget, $38.5 million in revenue, right? And 38.502 billion dollars in spending okay and they told everybody well we have a balanced budget but then in August the state went out to go borrow about a billion dollars and they had to be honest with the SEC in their bond documents and in the bond documents they, they said we have a structural imbalance of 1.2 billion dollars and we don't know how we're gonna close it or when we're gonna close it so they lied to everybody at the end of May, saying it was balanced. And then when they had to be honest with the SEC because they didn't want to get fined, they told them we have a $1.2 billion structural imbalance. And I'm telling you, it's even higher than that. Pension payments. OK, so the pension payments, one thing I want to make a, uh, make a point of there is that uh, $7.3 billion is light by about $4 billion if you actually wanted to fund it actuarially. So they're shortchanging the pension systems on an actuarial basis. Because there's no way $4 billion would be another 1% on the tax increase, on, on a personal income tax. So there, there's no way they're going to do that. So they continue to underfund pensions, and it eats up more and more of our budget. Okay, um, here's some other things that they, you're going to have to, we're going to have to fight across uh, against. Job growth. Job growth in the U.S. versus the Midwest. We're not doing very well in that area. So we've had slow, lagging job, job growth, and that's what's going to continue to be our plight if we don't uh, change the way that we do business. And by the way, every single Democrat in the state legislature has a failing grade when, governor, when business rates their, their votes. A failing grade. Every single Democrat, last three cycles, failing grade when business rates their votes. And they want to tell you that they're, 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 they love job creators. You can't love jobs rather than hate job creators, and that's what's happening here. Just as another point of reference, I think it's pretty interesting. So in um, 2000, Florida had about 3 million more people, 3 million more jobs than we did. And since 2000, they've gotten 5 million new jobs. So they have about 8 million more jobs than we do. And Illinois has only in that same amount of time grown its economy 370,000 jobs. So we are by far a laggard when it comes to building and creating wealth in the, in the state. 
Another thing they like to talk though too is how much is your income growth growing. But the truth is is that we're uh, second from the bottom in income growth and less than one half of the U.S. average. So our income growth is about 0.7 percent um, and the since the end of the recession and the um, rest of the U.S. is uh, about 1.6 percent on average. So these are these are headwinds the Democrats have to face with this too. That's what I keep telling me. Of course they have they're stuck with our low credit rating I actually, we, we trade at about junk bond status though, even though we're just above junk. They do that so they can make sure that they can still get their markup and continue to lend to us. We're fighting a shrinking population. We're fighting a shrinking population. Fourth year in out-migration, where we've had more out-migration than immigration. The last two years we've led the U.S. in out-migration. From 2000, the figure, 1.37 million Illinoisans have left. Yeah, that's a big loss. You know, here's another thing they're going to have to fight against, pensions. Like I said, pensions are a huge problem. And it continues to escalate. They, you know, officially $130 billion. Moody's has it at $250 billion. There's no way to pay this off. And this is at the state level. And it's crowding out vital services. So think about that. When you think about the escalating pension costs, who is it really hurting? Those that are most vulnerable, those most dependent on government services. It's also hurting your infrastructure, uh, new teacher hires. I mean, all this matters. You like MAP grants for your college kids? So it's, an, it's a lot of money. But it's all going to pensions, and it's not going to stop. We also have a downstate pension crisis. As you know, we have a $10 billion local pension crisis on top of the state pension crisis. And this is really going to start to hit home in Chicago, where in less than four years they will have to double their pension payment to over $2.1 billion. And they've already done $543 million in property tax increases, sewer tax increases, cell phone tax increases, a bag tax. I mean, you name it, they've tried it all, and they're going to have to find out more. But they have to do something because their funds are 20% funded, police and fire. And so next downturn in the market, those funds are really going to be jeopardizing their ability to pay out current retirees. So this crisis is hitting home, though. Rockford has this crisis. Peoria has this crisis. Leafy leftist Evanston. So the crisis is starting to hit home. It is happening. It is happening, and the biggest indictment of that is obviously in Harvey, where they laid off 40 police and fire because they couldn't afford it all. So it is happening. It is happening. It's going forward. So that's what, that's what you're faced with right now. So it's going to hit everybody. It's your job, your pension, or your home. You can't have all three. Um, so let's talk about this property taxes. As a percent of household incomes, which really matters, you know, household incomes have been fairly stagnant, but property taxes continue to go up and up and up. And the one prediction after all this election hullabaloo about we're going to freeze your property taxes, they didn't vote to freeze your property taxes, uh, no, we're going to lower your property taxes. The one guarantee I give you, your property taxes are going to go up. I guarantee you. Effective property tax rates, the national average is about 1.17. So we're typically two, in some cases, three, four, and five times higher than the national average. And it's punishing because it's the, you know, your largest, um, if typically people's largest investment is their home and your home equity is getting eroded and when you go to sell your home, it's really difficult to sell your home because people are assessing the property taxes and one, their lender won't let them in because the property taxes are too high or they just can't afford the combined payment of mortgage and property taxes. So it's preventing home ownership 
and it's that's why we've had a stagnated housing market, one of the worst in the country. And uh, Chicago still has the most underwater properties of all the major cities. Part of the problem here, obviously, you've got some very generous pensions being meted out. This affects both the state government and your local level. You know, in Illinois Municipal League, though, that's, a, that's really a not-for-profit. They shouldn't even be allowed into our pension system. We've corrected some of that. I don't know if we've gotten all the loopholes closed. The only way to close, close all the loopholes is really to go to a 401k-style program. We can talk about school consolidation. Uh, that's the first consolidation that needs to be done. Instead of focusing on 1% of your, of your property tax bill, you should focus on 70% of it, and we need school consolidation. So the, you know, 850 school districts, about, about one-third of our school districts, I know, 25% of our school districts are single school school districts. So there's a school district, and there's a principal for one school, and the superintendent, rather, for, for one school and all of his staff. And one-third of them have less than 600 students. So this is something that I've, I've championed and uh, needs to happen. Per student funding, we're fine. I mean, when you look around our Midwest average, we're doing fine on per student funding. And we're thir 13th overall in uh, the U.S. in terms of funding. But there are large disparities still. Even with that funding formula, which was a disaster, there are large disparities in the amount of money that we're spending. And this doesn't include pensions, so you can include, so it's not an ac as accurate a picture as it should be. But we should be hopeful. I mean, we do, we have some assets that you just can't move, right? Just can't move. Can't move our farmland. We're still an agricultural state, which we need to remind the suburbs and the city about, right? We have great rail infrastructure, used all the times. Will County has the second largest inland port in the, in the U.S., so you've got a lot of rail and truck traffic all combining together in the heart of Illinois to uh, move goods around the entire United States. You can't really move that. Great airport system, which you guys know about here, right? Great for cargo. And we have a trained and educated workforce. Retaining it will be difficult. So in 2016, every two years, they do a big national study on where are high school kids going to get educated. And in the 2016 study, 20, 000, nearly 20,000 uh, Illinois high school graduates left for college elsewhere. Nearly 20,000. So we lost a lot of our talent pool. And they're leaving because our public universities are 20 to 50% higher than their conference peers. And it really comes down to a money issue. And as we lose our youth, they find their opportunities elsewhere, where they went to school, or where they got their internships. And so it's very, very difficult. I mean, uh, uh, Chicago is an attractive place for the younger set crowd, but um, you know what? If the jobs aren't there, then they can't be there. And if the jobs are there and they want to build a, you know, build a family, they sometimes can't afford to live here when it comes to that point. So we've got a lot of work to do if we want to stop separating families from their children and make sure things are going on. But right now we do have a trained and educated workforce. And so why do we have such high amount migration when we have such natural assets? It's a conundrum, quite frankly. It really is. So that's kind of my presentation. And I just, I just give you that because I, I don't know if you guys have ever had a state update like this. I know there's a lot of, and I've, I've told Illinois Republican Party leadership before, I said, look, if you don't know what's going on in Springfield, you can't message to the voter. And I said, in some cases, some of these, your districts, have been, you've been represented by a Democrat for so long that your people don't know the truth. But it's also true in some Republican districts. I mean, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't tell people the truth about our fi finances. We're not going to get anywhere. So we have to lead on policy. We have to lead on policy. So what are we doing in the future? What's the Illinois Republican Party doing in the future? We still have a lot of division. 
in the ranks? Or we still have a, we have a, you know, leadership's not divided and leadership's not being challenged and leadership largely failed. They failed in this election cycle and the previous ones as well. And it doesn't look like they're going to be challenged out of office. No leadership change, no change. So the grassroots have to do it instead. So we need to build a coalition of grassroots activists just like we did in the primary campaign who are motivated and informed and then willing to work to get out the vote. I mean, I honestly do still believe that when people are presented with the facts, they'll make a better choice. I really do believe that. Or at least 50% 50, 50 plus one will make a better choice. I think 50% plus one actually do care whether or not their schools educate kids, right? I think that they care whether or not their property taxes are going up or down. I think they care about their job, right? I, I actually firmly believe that. I just don't think we've done a very good job of getting the word out to them. So, we, we, you know, this is where we are, really. This is where we are. And um, we've had bad messaging, bad leadership, and it's got to change. Because otherwise, we really are on the path to Connecticut, Rhode Island, California. These are bastions of, of um, Democrat control by super majorities that haven't, you know, turned the tide for a long time. So, I mean, th that's where we are. But I, I tend to think that Illinoisans are still far more practical. It's just that the money and the messaging have got to change. And we've got to be relentless pursuits of the truth with voters and our neighbors. So it happens neighbor to neighbor. Municipal elections matter. Not being afraid of the conversation matters. Running for school board would be helpful. Running for your county board, you know, building a farm team. I mean, we have a lot of work to do if we're going to turn this state around. Former State Representative Jeannie Ives during a post-election forum in Rockford hosted by Concerned Christian Americans. Our thanks to Jan Kloss and the CCA team for allowing IFI to record this important event. Remember to call and ask your state lawmakers to vote no on extreme pro-abortion legislation and also ask them to vote no on legalizing the recreational use and commercial sale of today's high-potency marijuana. For lawmaker names and phone numbers, visit IllinoisFamily.org and click Officials Finder. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute and tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Till next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 